You're listening to the CryptoCast podcast. Welcome to the Crypto and Blockchain Talk. Hello. Hey. Hello. Hola. Shalom. Hello. Namaste. Nihau. Vivet. Hello. Salut. Yassas. Salve. Ciao. Bonjour. Our podcast talks about the latest trends in the worlds of cryptocurrencies and the blockchain. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of Crypto and Blockchain Talk. Today, I have with me Jeremy Samuel, who is the founder and CEO of the Australia-based Metallicoin. Hello, Jeremy. How are you? I'm very well, Aviva. How are you? <laughs> Excellent. And how I was going to say, how is it in sunny? I think, are you in Melbourne? I am in Melbourne, and... It's just turning a little cold, but it's uh, it's been beautiful here through Easter. And uh, Australia kind of shut down for the whole week because we had Easter Friday as a holiday, Good Friday. Monday was a public holiday. And Thursday was our Anzac Day holiday. Oh, yeah. So most of the country took Tuesday and Wednesday and Friday as leave days and got 10 days off work. <laughs> That's awesome. You know what? That sounds pretty great. And, and the weather's been pretty good during that time. It's been beautiful in Melbourne. And so we've been very lucky. Um, so it was a bit like having our own golden week. Oh, that sounds fabulous. Well, I first want to ask a question. It says here that you may, I, because obviously I read the notes, and also I read your article in Forbes. Congratulations on that great article in Forbes. But, Thank you very much. Oh, no, no worries. I mean, it's, it's all down to you and your work. But it says in the notes that I have about your company that you may be changing your name from Metallicoin to Metalli. Is that correct? No, so Metalli is just our internal abbreviation. But what we are changing is our plan was to call our exchange the CMX, the Crypto Metal Exchange. Right. And we've decided to change that to the Digital Metal Exchange or DMX to just make it a bit more broadly applicable ah. and uh, probably have a little bit of a wider appeal. So we're going to do a deep dive into everything about your company and Metallicoin. But before we get there, I just want to paint the picture of exactly who you are. And I'm going to quote from Forbes. So according to Forbes and according to your own self, um, you are not only a blockchain evangelist, which is an excellent thing because I would like to think I am too. You're also a serial entrepreneur and you have a 25-year track record in funding, growing, and marketing companies in technology mining and digital media so i first want to find out a little bit more about you as a person for 25 years you have been concentrating on pretty much the fintech area of life what's your journey so how did you get to this place where you thought well i'm going to be actually evolving myself into creating this product what led you to actually think that you needed to go on this journey in life it's a great question and it actually started when I finished university, I worked for a big global consulting firm and whilst it was great getting to live in a couple of different places around the world and really interesting places and getting to experience different cultures, I just found I'm a real maverick and individualist and I found big corporate slash big consulting life really challenging because I didn't get to spend enough of my time creating and doing. So I went from there and worked for an entrepreneurial firm. I wasn't the founder. It had already been running for about 25 years, but I really loved that environment. And I worked during the dot-com boom, doing capital raising. I got to spend some time in Silicon Valley just before the, the crash in 2000, talking to, to venture capitalists and seeing a bit of the startup culture there. So after that, I kind of felt a little bit unemployable, particularly in a big corporation. Mm -hmm. And I found myself very creative in terms of wanting to help take ideas from sort of conception through to, to an actual business that serves a need. So that journey has been 
a lot of learning, some formal study, a lot of mistakes. Uh, I sometimes jokingly say I have occasionally unintentionally been in the not-for-profit sector. Mm -hmm. uh, but you learn a lot and hopefully you make new mistakes rather than repeating old ones. <laughs> and I've found that, that I've gotten to work with a lot of really interesting and amazing people and that I've picked up a really wide range of skills having to do a lot of stuff because when you can't afford to bring people in because you're in pre-capital phase, you, you just have to figure out how to do stuff. And I find that part of it really exciting. And so what happened was about, I got married for the second time about five years ago. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> thank you. That was actually one of the smarter decisions I've made in my life. Not all of them have been. But marrying Karen was absolutely one of the smarter decisions. I still kind of question her judgment, but it was fantastic. You know, they do say behind every great man is an even greater woman. So I totally applaud your line of thinking here. Yeah, well, this is very true. But, but she's an artist and I'm... Uh, bit of a hard head so, and a scientist so we have a really interesting balance and mix of skills and she she works in our business it's actually fantastic having her as a really valued contributor to the business uh, managing our human resources function a lot of our administrative function and any creative uh, design and development work we need how many people are actually in your business so we have a core team now of six and we have an advisory board of six and we've spent all of last year bouncing around the planet and trying to figure out how best to do this and one of the great outcomes from that was we've ended up with an amazing team of advisors from technology business public company management cryptocurrency blockchain expertise and corporate finance and they just add so much value. They're amazing. And our core team is in Melbourne, Warsaw, London. And then we've got kind of companies, partner companies that are in New York, Dubai. Well, and, and the one group is in Dubai, Singapore and Switzerland and Tel Aviv. We've got another advisory group. So this whole thing is a really global team which is which is quite amazing it is global i mean you just pretty much named every continent going except for two of them so that's five yeah. out of seven that's not bad going actually so what i want to do right now is just touch upon really what metallic coin is because and we're obviously going to still explore who you are as a person and how you've actually made this all come together but metallic coin is your answer to making it easy for anyone who wants to trade metals as easy as it is to trade metals to trade forex or crypto is that correct it, that's exactly right so currently uh most metal trading around the world is done on the lme which is the london metals exchange uh, a lot of it is done on the the cme which used to be the chicago mercantile exchange it's now a group of all the commodities trading houses in America and increasingly on the Shanghai futures market. And the thing is, these markets are all pretty hard to access. I mean, to, to open a, a brokerage account with a tier one broker on the LME, you've got to have uh, half a million pounds to deposit in your account, which is beyond most investors. Of course. And on the CME, there are a few options. But it's basically a futures market, as is obviously the Shanghai futures market. And the challenge with futures is uh, if a futures contract moves against you, you can get margin calls for sometimes hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars, and you might have 12 hours to, to meet them, or they liquidate your position and you've, you've crystallized a big loss. And again, that's not really accessible to most investors. So what we want to do is, is we, we really, and as I said, I did, I did spend a good chunk of 2017 and all of 2018 looking at the cryptocurrency market and obviously the massive boom and then crash and now slight improvement that's happened there. And, and particularly scratching my head and going, well, this is all going to be regulated. The technology is fantastic. 
it's got great capabilities, but I can't see it staying unregulated for long. And that's exactly the move we're seeing. But I also looked at, at other forms of trading. So if you look at, at options, so I, I've studied, for example, the Chicago Options Exchange. And if you look at the growth in options trading through the early 2000s, and it's, it's on their website, and, and you can go and check the data, as you get the early mid 2000s coming around and brokers are pushing online self-service tools out to to people to trade with the volume goes crazy mm. just the amount and if you look at the dollar amounts it's the same uh you give people tools they start trading with them now options are risky but they're certainly not as risky as futures you don't get huge margin calls and um and the number of traders has just gone crazy. Uh, foreign exchange is, is similar. I mean, it was previously the domain of, of banks and of multinational corporations. And again, you've now got MetaTrader and other tools and people can trade from, from their home, from wherever, from their phone. And, um, and there's now some nine and a half million people trading foreign exchange. Again, risky, but people do it every day. Mm -hmm. uh, and they trade equities, you know, shares from their home, from their desktop. And of course, certainly since probably early 2016, we've seen the rise of Coinbase, of uh, Binance and, and all these other cryptocurrency exchanges. And again, you've, you've got an explosion of opportunity. In the metals market, there hasn't been anything equivalent. Yet metals are a $2.7 trillion a year market, which is pretty big. They form the basis of our whole technological society. You don't get electronics or vehicles or spacecrafts etc without metals and the derivatives market in metals is massive it's at least 60 times the physical value nobody knows exactly <laughs> even right. if you look up all the statistics and data but it's at least 60 times in gold the derivatives market is somewhere between 300 and 900 times bigger than the physical market and people love gold in all different cultures around the world of uh, course in spite of yeah well in spite of more than half a century of the global worldwide central bankers trying to turn people off gold gold is money gold is the basis of the monetary system and if you don't believe that track the australian dollar against the gold price <laughs> and it's it's so closely correlated it's ridiculous and many many other examples come up and you look at, for example, China, you look at India, and to them, they know. They actually love to hold physical gold. So metals trading is, is as old as commerce. We just want to bring it into the 21st century and make it cheap and effectively accessible and easy. So, so instead of having to go on to the London Metals Exchange and deal in 25 tons of copper, which is what a single option contract is, We'll let people buy a 10 kilo coin for $60 and it and it'll just track the copper price. And over time, we'll introduce derivatives so they'll be able to trade options or warrants on metal. And we'll also massively broaden the number of metals that can be traded, because at the moment you've got your precious metals, gold, silver, platinum, palladium. There's the key industrial metals or what they call the non-ferrous metals like copper, zinc, tin, lead, nickel. Uh, aluminium and um, and there's a couple of what they call minor metals uh, traded but not a lot and yet if you actually look where the really exciting technological developments are happening whether it's in touch screens whether it's in wind turbines and magnets uh, solar panels uh, and and even electric vehicles and a whole bunch of other technologies actually use what are termed the minor metals so uh, things like indium, which is in every touchscreen, gallium, uh, lithium, which is in every uh, rechargeable battery, which is so mm -hmm. critical for electric vehicles. Absolutely. Uh, and all, all the rare earth metals that are, that are in the, um, the wind turbines and electric engines because they make super efficient magnets. And, and so you've probably got another 30 or 40 minor metals that are largely at the moment very opaque. They're all traded over the counter. It's really hard to get good price signals. There's certainly no derivatives on them. And, uh, and certain countries often sort of control a large part of the supply. So with the rare earth metals and indium, 
China controls about 80% of that. Uh, with tin, Malaysia controls a lot of it. But what we want to do is create a very transparent, very open global marketplace for all those minor metals and start to create derivatives on them so that the whole world of metal trading should be should be opened up. Uh, now, it's not day one, but that, that's sort of where we're heading. Can you explain to our audience, uh, just broaden out and give a definition for what a derivative is, please? Sure. So when you trade... What, what's called an underlying. Um, you're trading usually a physical thing. So if, if I sell you um, an ounce of gold and you give me 1300 US dollars, then we've traded the underlying. Or, you know, a couple of shares of Apple computer. That's even though it's not a physical thing, it's considered the underlying instrument. Um, derivatives are any traded tool that refers to the underlying. So um, the simplest types of derivatives are futures. And these started back with wheat farming, right? The farmers wanted to, to fix a price for their crop, but it hadn't grown yet. So they would sell uh, 60 or 70 percent of their expected production as a, as a forward or a future contract where they said, OK, come August, I will sell you wheat at ten dollars or ten pounds a bushel and the the buyers would lock that in and they they'd have an agreed price and and those are still used uh very widely by commodities producers and also businesses that need to buy metal or produce or whatever because they want to lock in the price and, and have budget certainty uh, but as i mentioned before there's a hey buddy you need to throw three, five hundred thousand or whatever the amount is into your account to make sure you can close out your position. And you have to do that very, very quickly. And as a result of that sort of margin call problem, a lot of people don't trade futures. And then there's a whole bunch of other classes of derivatives, but the, the other simplest ones are called puts and calls, where you basically buy a right to either buy or sell the underlying at an agreed price for a period of time. So if copper is at $6,000 US a ton, which is roughly what it is at the moment, I might say I want to lock in the ability to buy copper at $6,000 a ton for the next six months. And somebody who's got copper to sell might sell me that option to do that. And they might charge me three or $400 in that case to control that ton of copper. And that's that's called a call option. Or, or similarly, if I'm worried the price might go down, I can lock in the right to sell my copper at $6,000 a ton for the next six months. If the price falls to five thousand, well, I might exercise my option and say, "Well, here you go. You have to buy it off me at six thousand, and uh, and the person on the other side of that contract has to do it." So those are puts and call options in very very simple terms. But now with Wall Street and all the smart MBAs and financial engineers around, there are now many many other more complex types of derivatives around the place, and it's really you know important if you want to trade um, derivatives to to do some education and, and sort of learn about them because they do have different risks but often they provide a lot of leverage and you can control a share or a commodity or, uh, of some kind for relatively little outlay so on your exchange you're going to be providing trade sizes like you said around 10 kilos which is against the 25 tons that is normally required. So are people going to be with some kind of smart contract holding these? Can you explain this all? <laughs> um, okay, so... so <laughs> I like the laugh, the by the way, before I say, can you explain this all? Are we in for it now? <laughs> well, I, I mean, you said deep dive, so I'm going to go a little bit shallow and you're welcome to take me deeper. But okay. I'm going to try and keep it fairly non-technical. I want to give you really one quick aside, though. You know, a lot of people who are in my travels, I, you know, I say, oh, I'm, I'm running a... Um, a blockchain-based business and we're digitizing metal assets and letting people trade them and they go, oh yeah, but all those cryptocurrencies aren't backed by anything. And I say, well, since 1972, neither are your US dollars nor mm -hmm. any other currency, excuse me, backed by anything except the faith of the government. There's no metal behind them. There's no real backing and governments can keep printing them. I say at least with 
the better cryptocurrencies like like Bitcoin for for you know it does have some challenges. But no government or other agency can increase the supply arbitrarily. And the thing they're backed by is really, really smart math that I could probably explain about 70% of to you, but just trust me, it's really good math and it's hard to hack, it's hard to censor. In fact, the, the good cryptocurrencies are backed by systems and networks and math that actually really go a long way to guaranteeing their integrity. So let me leave that aside because a bit of a, an aside. But what we're doing is through smart contracts, if, if you like, we are tying digital assets, which you, you might call them cryptocurrencies, but they're not, they're not strictly because they're not limited in how many we can issue. We'll issue as many as we have asset backing for. We'll issue a bunch of coins that track the price of initially the top 10 metals that are traded. So, you know, gold, silver, platinum, palladium, copper, tin, zinc, lead, aluminium, and nickel, so 11. If you're interested in trading, maybe if you're already trading foreign exchange or options or something like that, you can come in and you can buy those coins in a very similar way to the way that you would buy an option on a Chicago Board Options Exchange screen or that you would buy Ethereum or Ripple or any other cryptocurrency on Binance or, or Coinbase. Uh, so what we're doing is we're taking the idea of a cryptocurrency exchange and how easy they are to use and we're applying it to these metal-backed coins. And so one of the things we'll actually be able to do is go to any of the metal depositories, to the family offices uh, and other organizations that are holding metal in, in vaults as a kind of inert asset and say, well, as long as you can prove that the metal is there and that you have ownership of it, we can create tokens for you that can now be traded on, a, on an open global exchange. So you can sell some of it or moving forward, you can even lease some of it. Um, so, so central banks and, and huge corporations, actually, if they hold gold, they often lease it out because gold loans are, um, are seen as very low risk. Uh, and they're often very big amounts. Well, we can mirror that in a digital environment. Uh, so, essentially, yes, we're, we use a smart contract to link the, the token that somebody has uh, that, that we'll issue that they can buy on the exchange and then trade to uh, a particular uh, asset underlying it, which is usually the physical metal or a contract to access the physical metal so that in theory somebody could say to us all right i hold five one ounce gold tokens i would like to redeem those for five ounces of physical gold uh that there's a mechanism whereby they could do that and that's probably the difference between say holding an f or some bitcoin or something that you can't actually redeem for anything um although obviously there are some transactional you know, places that will now accept Bitcoin or Ethereum or what have you, so that you can buy a cup of coffee or what have you, but for a, uh, a very volatile currencies like, like the typical cryptocurrencies, that's quite hard to manage. Of course. So when it comes to the, the metals market on the broad spectrum, in the big picture, it exceeds $2.7 per annum. What's the growth of the metals market? What does that look like in the short and long term, in your opinion? That's, that's a great question. And, and actually, digital technology requires less and less metal over time because we have miniaturization. But we're, we're currently going through a stage of renewal of most of the vehicle fleets so over the next decade or so. The vehicle fleet is going to be replaced with electric and autonomous vehicles, in my opinion, self-driving cars. And some of that will come from recycled metals. I mean, you know, typically every year, uh, and it depends which metal, some are easier to recycle than others. But the majority of metal that actually gets used these days is recycled from, from previous uses. And, um, you know, certainly, basically all the gold that's ever been mined in human history is still basically in circulation. It doesn't, it doesn't disappear. 
and most of the other metals, you, you certainly get a pretty good recovery from scrapping and recycling metals. But we think that, that the metals market certainly will, will continue to grow. There are, there are coming to be substitutes in some areas with polymers and carbon fibers and ceramics and all kinds of things that are replacing metals in certain applications. But, but overall, the growth in technology, the growth in vehicles, now you're, you're starting to see even things like Hyperloop technology being deployed. I was in Dubai recently, and you can actually see them building the first Hyperloop stations, which is pretty exciting. So there'll continue to be new uses for metals, and even though microelectronics require fewer and fewer metals, um, I think emerging technologies, renewable energies, and as we get improved uh, nuclear fusion and even fission technologies, they'll all require metals. So, so we see pretty long-term growth in the metals market. You know, at 2.7 approaching $3 trillion, um, we certainly don't see it shrinking anytime soon because demand in the developing world just keeps increasing as well. So yours is going to be a desktop and an, a smartphone or any kind of mobile phone solution, I should imagine, correct? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so you'll be able to open up your smartphone app, uh, check your positions, and and trade any of the pairs that are on on our exchange. So you'll be able to bring in your your U.S. dollars or your euros or your yen or whichever currency you want to work in, and then you'll be able to trade that or Bitcoin, Ethereum, and probably three or four other cryptocurrencies and you'll be able to get a quote say you want to buy some copper so you'll be able to say copper is six thousand us dollars a ton or it's you know roughly 1.2 bitcoin so all right i want to buy 100 kilos of copper and and you'll get a price and and just like every other exchange you'll you'll be able to to put an offer in and and there'll be sell offers and we'll have all the all the exchange technology underlying a matching engine and order books and trade books and all the all the normal magic that sits under an uh, an exchange like a cryptocurrency exchange will will sit there under our digital metal exchange and facilitate the trades. So, uh, do you, who do you think your top three in terms of geography? Who do you think your top three markets will end up being? Do you think it's going to follow the usual suspects, the players who are already out there? Do you think it's going to be like the U.S., China, and I don't even know who the the top are, but I would suspect that they would be two of the three. Who do you think your top geographic markets for your DMX are going to be? Gee, that's that's a great question. Provided. The regulation supports it. We think China will be a huge market. We're actually launching in the United Arab Emirates, and we think that Dubai and, and Abu Dhabi and the other Emirates, um, because they trade a lot of gold and metal currently, we think that that will be actually a great starting market. And our, our second target market is Singapore, because 65% of the world's metal is traded through Southeast Asia. So Singapore is certainly a major, major hub for that. Hong Kong and increasingly Indonesia, South Korea. So we see Singapore as really a base. If, if I can squib the question a tiny bit and mm -hmm. say Southeast Asia, I know it's not a country. <laughs> but, 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 um, I'll let you get away with this. It's okay. We can define you. it as a country for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, certainly that's that's a region that has shown, you know, that, that loves metal, loves gold, but loves all kinds of metal trading and has taken to cryptocurrency very hard. So we see Southeast Asia and hopefully mainland China, if, if the regulatory situation permits as great markets. Look, the U.S. is the biggest or second biggest metals market in the world, and we see that continuing. But again, you know, London through the LME is the oldest and, and still the main center of metals trade. So I've probably said four there already, and, and we haven't even talked about India. Currently, anything that looks like a cryptocurrency is banned in India, but I know there's, uh, there's quite strong lobbying going on in India. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if we, if we can make sure that we continue to be classified as a commodities exchange, not a cryptocurrency exchange, which is what we are, then hopefully we can uh, start to get some great penetration in India as well. Uh, so, I mean, look, this is it, everywhere in the world trades metal. 
and that's one of the beauties of it uh, and i mean one of the continents we didn't mention is south america but some of the biggest copper producers in the world historically the biggest silver producers in the world there's lots of lithium in south america and you know part of the issue with trading with those markets and and then again we can go across the ditch to to africa and it's even more exacerbated is that it's really hard to establish trusted partners in some of those regions yeah. particularly for westerners who aren't used to doing business there and we actually think that a global very transparent uh, exchange that everything's driven by blockchain so all the trades are are able to be inspected even if you don't know who the counterparties are um, so people's privacy is protected but the the trades the volumes the pricing is very transparent and it also means if people are committing frauds that they can get picked up very quickly and and identified so we actually hope that that those markets that that has traditionally have been quite challenging i mean i know a lot of australian mining companies have done very well in africa in actually going into production but a lot of also sort of gone very badly wrong and and similarly in south america uh so we actually hope that we can open up markets there that become trusted and and very transparent and actually will end up giving much better results for the producers and processors in those regions to sell into global markets so you're you're the audience who you're really aiming for within these different geographic regions are going to be individual traders first and foremost and what about the professional trading houses and people like this i mean who are you aiming for really first or is it just you're going to do some kind of bifurcated marketing strategy and you're going to try to go for <laughs> professional traders and individuals it, it partly depends how successful our capital raising is of course um because it's always down to resources but our initial target is individuals and and of course the the first place to look is is people who are already trading options equities foreign exchange crypto and metals and say hey here's a new trading venue for different set of risk classes or commodities however you want to phrase it that you haven't really had good access to before or easy access to before how about it and so hopefully that will start to generate a lot of initial business uh, and and then the next group are our hedgers people who actually need to hedge for business reasons and I touched on this before so so if you buy copper to put into your device that you manufacture the thing you really want is surety of supply so you know you're going to get you know you you know you're going to need 10 tons of copper over the next 6 months to to meet your manufacturing targets and you'd like to lock in the price of that so you can do your budgeting and so that you're not your, your profitability is not subject to to the price movements because i mean metals are not as volatile as cryptocurrencies have been in the last 2 or 3 years but if you if you go and google a zinc price chart uh, particularly or gold price chart or any of the metals um there there can be a fair bit of volatility so so if your business relies on i need this as a critical input to my manufacturing and i just need to lock in a price and a quantity for the next period then you're what what we refer to as a hedger and so we do also want to start heading for for those sorts of organizations and even on the production side if you're a smelter and you know you're putting out 100 tons of zinc a quarter you'd like to lock Thanks in for listening a to the Cryptocast podcast that, stay that tuned in for more episodes make sure you meet your overheads and all of that so so there there are speculative reasons to hedge and you you think the market's going up and you want to lock in the ability to buy Well, so that's a speculative reason to hedge. But if you're a producer or a consumer of the of the metal or any other commodity, then you've got sound business reasons to want to hedge and we want to attract those people. Uh but the platform that we're rolling out is institutional grade and it will support very high volume trading, best execution and and other things that that institutional traders need. And so we we certainly with partners probably not on our own but with partners we'll look to also attract the institutional market. Oh very good. So your platform has the SEC actually approved your platform or are you going through this whole reg A in the United States are you going for these different regs to become rubber stamped or what what's going on there? Okay, so there's the US market in particular there's a couple of different things going on. The 
Securities Exchange Commission seems to have taken a view that most of the cryptocurrencies and altcoins that were issued through 2016, 17, and 18 actually meet a lot of their definition of securities. Now, not every jurisdiction in the world shares that view, but certainly that seems to be the American view. And those are for really for the coins that were used for capital raising. We have a plan to do a security token offering under a Reg D in the US, which is basically uh, sophisticated or accredited investors only. And it's much lower disclosure requirements than a full public offering because those people are deemed to be experienced enough that they can assess the risks themselves. We currently have that on hold because we're sort of changing what we're doing and we're starting with the UAE and then Singapore rather than starting in the US market, which was our plan six months ago or eight months ago for a whole range of reasons. But the platform that we are building on is already run in the US in a fully regulated way. So our, we're doing what's called a white label of that platform. So mm -hmm. we're taking a copy of that platform, branding it for ourselves and putting the metals and metals back tokens on it. That, will, that environment runs in a fully regulated ecosystem, if you like, that gives us access to all of the US markets and to US customers as a commodity exchange we can we can then trade across all those markets so so we're kind of piggybacking on regulatory work that that our partners have done previously to get their platform going which saves us a ton of time and money and gets us a running start which is great well it sounds to be honest with you it sounds fabulous it really does and it's all completely kyc'd and aml so in other words uh you're doing checks for everybody who are obviously especially if it's an sec uh, approved platform as such then those things are actually happening correct yeah absolutely and look we we took a decision pretty early in 2018 that you know that you used the word bifurcate before and, and i love that because i'm a, a chaos theory geek uh, <laughs> comes from but um there's a bit of a bifurcation certainly in cryptocurrency right there's the kind of crypto anarchists you know this is going to knock over the global financial system and and anyone can trade and we don't need governments tracking us and we're not going to do any identity management, um, KYC, which is know your customer. In other words, you know, who is this person? Anti-money laundering, counter-terrorist financing. We're just going to ignore that whole world and we're going to trade on distributed exchanges that governments can't trust. And we're going to trade unregulated coins like Bitcoin, etc. And, and look, I, I love that idea. I think, um, you know, intellectually and politically, it's kind of a really cool experiment. But um, I'm also old-fashioned. I want to run a business. There's an old, an old joke, if you'll permit me, uh, when they were trying Jesse James, the bank robber, and the judge said, "Why do you rob banks?" And he said, "Judge, that's where the money is." <laughs> right, so. We don't want to rob banks, but we certainly want to go where the money is, and where the money is is on the regulated global capital markets um you know I, I mean in in equities for example share the share market's worth about 90 trillion dollars the cryptocurrency market's worth about 200 250 billion dollars so we're going to go where the money is and we're going to do it hyper legal highly regulated and some people in the purest cryptocurrency world are going to say, well, we don't like that. And that's entirely their prerogative and they do not need to do business with us. But we believe regulators around the world are going to like it and hopefully allow us to trade. We believe that banks are going to allow people to get money in and out of our platforms through their bank accounts, which is really critically important. And frankly, we're going to protect our traders. We're going to have accountability. We're going to have a, a very transparent and open platform that you know people are going to know where we are. We're going to have office addresses in Dubai and Singapore and eventually London and New York and probably Geneva or Zurich and other places that people will be able to come in and talk to a human being and find us. And Did you say really, really talk important. to a human being? 
Oh I my know, god! I, 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 I don't I don't know if that's I mean that in itself is innovation. <laughs> there you go. We're, we're not gonna we're not gonna offer smoke signals or anything, but yeah, we look at the great exchanges around the world, whether that's the New York Stock Exchange, London Stock Exchange, whether it's Coinbase in the cryptocurrency world, you know, there are really credible Forex markets, certainly the Chicago Board Options Exchange, you know, the, the Singapore Stock Exchange. Those, those are the sorts of businesses that even, dare I say, the Australian Stock Exchange while I'm sitting here in Melbourne. You know, these are the sort of businesses that we want to emulate from their customer protection point of view, from mm -hmm. their reputation management point of view. But we want to bring the trading into the modern era and digitize it and make it super efficient. Uh, in some cases, cut out middlemen, cut out, you know, where there are opaque hidden fees or trading practices and make the whole thing very, very accountable, but also very cost effective and and probably a bit more inviting and easy than it's been. So we've taken the, the road less traveled. Uh, some people have been a bit critical of us for taking too long and, and not getting our, our act together. I'll keep it PG. Um, <laughs> But um, I was going to say something. Oh, I know what you were going to say. No, that's good. That's good. <laughs> you know, but we think we'll end up in a place where, you know, look, you you only have to do a very simple little bit of math to, to see that even taking a reasonably small market share of a $3 trillion a year market gets you to be a, a pretty substantial business. And that's very exciting for us. It's scalable and there's, we have so many ideas and things that we want to do and pursue once we're up and running. And sometimes I have to bite my tongue because when you talk to investors and you start getting all excited about these things you can do, they go, oh, you're biting off too much. You know, it's just, forget it. You'll never get it done. So I'm, I'm holding my tongue. I'm saying, you know, watch this space. You're honing but, in, honing <laughs> but you know if, if we can just start with let's make it as easy for people to trade metal as it is today to trade cryptocurrency forex or options then i think we can we can really get going with something cool well i have to tell you i, I already love everything that you're doing i i want to talk about your sto but first i want to talk about the business model behind metallic coin and how exactly uh -huh. metallic coin is going to as a business make money so obviously sure. I can see you making money from transactions. So transaction yep. fees. What else is your business model based off of besides transaction fees? So when you get when you run an exchange, um, you can create liquidity or do what what's referred to as market making, which means that you know if you ensure that that there's always a buyer if there's a seller and vice versa. When you do that, you can capture some of the what's called the spread between the, the buyer and the seller's price. So that's another revenue stream. We will also have clearing functions. So if you look, you look at the CME, for example, they have what's called clearing members who basically shepherd trades through. And they're, they're typically some of the biggest investment banks around the world. And they, they clip a, a reasonable part of the trading margin. So what we want to do is actually allow people on our exchange and the exchange itself to be the, the clearing function. So so we're planning to have a utility token, much like the Binance coin, we'll have the METL coin. And people who hold that can use it to pay for transactions at a discount and other services on the exchange, but they can also put it into the clearing pools. And we'll have our own coins in the clearing pools. And so when people need clearing services for their trades, again, we'll take a, a margin on that, but we'll allow the exchange users to participate in that. Similarly, when we provide leverage margin trading, again, that's typically provided by uh, liquidity pools and what have you. And we'll use some of those as we, as we need to, to scale up. But our initial liquidity pool, we'll also provide uh, ourselves and will allow our users to, to participate in. So, so far we're up to transaction revenue, spread, clearing, liquidity. And then one thing we haven't talked about is, uh, is stored credit card or stored value cards. But, and I don't want to go into too much detail, but we'll be able to issue our own Metallicoin branded cards uh, that people can, you know, again, go into the app and you might transfer a little bit of copper onto your card. Let's say you're in Dubai, so you do it in Dirham, and then you go in and pay for dinner on, on your card. So you'll essentially be able to spend your copper to pay for dinner. Of course, we'll make transaction fees on that. The other really cool thing is we'll be able to issue virtual cards, but we'll also be able to issue 
Metallicoin metal cards that are made of pure silver or gold or platinum that people will be able to get. So we think there's some some cool marketing stuff we can do around that. It but sounds fabulous. The future, but yeah, but but that's very cool. But you don't need a physical card. You'll actually be able to have a, a virtual card in your Apple Wallet or Google Wallet and just pay with your smartphone, which we think increasingly people will do. But that's kind of fun because then you can issue things like unobtainium cards. Because if they're virtual cards, you don't have to actually give people unobtainium. But for for those Avatar fans out there, we'll get the reference. <laughs> um, so you can have some fun with it as well. Because the other thing is, you know, metals trading's been very austere and quite serious, as is options and forex. You know, it's all about money and financial instruments and fintech. But over time, we want to actually make it a bit of fun as well. We, you know, we know millennials love rewards and games and and uh, getting levels and all this sort of thing. So once we have the basics uh, in place, we actually want to gamify it and give people rewards and levels and things. And so there's revenue opportunities in all of those with with partner promotions and all kinds of things. So we've got a, a heap of a heap of revenue streams and that's before we even talk about issuing our own derivatives, which when we go into the minor metals that I mentioned before, because there's no derivatives markets we can back into, we're going to have to become the derivatives market. And so the derivatives issuance is complex. It has some regulatory complexity around it that you've got to really adhere to very carefully, which we will. But the exchanges around the world now that issue derivatives do really well out of the derivatives issuance fees. And uh, we've got a whole bunch of ideas around that. So there's there's a ton of revenue streams and they're really scalable. It doesn't cost us a anything like a dollar for it for every extra service we put on or for every additional user that comes on and trades and generates a dollar in revenue you know the margins can be very very strong because it's all technology-based blockchain-based we can deploy it around the world with you know it's really really scalable so i really want to talk to you about your sto this is something where I really want to know, first of all, what the dates are, what's the roadmap look like in terms of the, you know, your, your the times, the goals, when's this STO launching? Okay, so the short answer is we've actually put it on hold, as I said, because we're kind of moved to a UAE focus and, and we're in discussions with some partners there who may provide all our capital requirements uh, without doing an STO. Uh, an STO or security token offering is a really cool way of selling shares in your company, basically, or shares in some illiquid asset like a building or a piece of fine art or something. And we think they're a fantastic mechanism. And our belief is that it's going to absolutely explode over the next few years because people will be able to trade all kinds of things that, that couldn't be readily traded before, as I said, like a, a piece of a building or a a fractional ownership of a Ferrari or a Van Gogh or something. But in our context, our plan was to do an STO in North America and launch our business in North America, probably to raise three to five million dollars through that mechanism. We've got some great partners in New York who are helping us with that and who are, you know, going to do the coin issuance and the smart contracts. And, and we think it is a great fundraising mechanism. Uh, if we don't end up raising all the capital we need in the next few months out of the UAE and Singapore, then we'll certainly revise doing the STO. And, um, and we think the appetite for STOs is only going to grow as you get exchanges that can trade security tokens readily. And the really cool thing about it is... Um, you build in the rules into the smart contract. So if it's sold, as we mentioned earlier, our plan is to sell it under Regulation D in the U.S., which means we say this is a security, it's a share in a business, uh, it has the rights and, and obligations of a shareholding, a fully paid shareholding, but we only want to issue it to accredited investors so we don't have to do a full prospectus. So that's Reg D. Now, what that means, though, is that at least for a period of time, those tokens can only be sold to other accredited investors, which, you know, if you if you have a, a Reg D offering that's not an STO, that's not a digital offering, that's quite hard to monitor. And you've got to have uh, transfer agents and all kinds of things, uh, making sure that 
the people who buy it are, are still accredited investors. If it's an STO, it's in the smart contract. Check, is this person a registered investor accredited on this platform? Yes. Tick. Okay, they can buy it. If not, no, they can't. You know, are they in a jurisdiction that permits them to buy it? If they're in India and or China, no, they can't buy it. If they're in Japan or Singapore or other locations and they've done the right paperwork, bang, it can be transferred. So all of that happens automatically. And that's why we think all stock exchanges are going to move basically this way. And and that the trade in all these digital assets is just going to explode over the next decade. Absolutely. Uh, digitizing illiquid assets and making them liquid is the killer app for blockchain, in my opinion. And I just want to mention to all of our listeners that if you need to know more about what each one of these regulations are in terms of how a company goes to market and does an offering, we did actually do an in-depth interview with a top securities lawyer, which is episode number 44, which is what does the future hold for blockchain and crypto if you want to know more about regs and how that actually awesome. applies. Yeah, we did all, we've actually done an in-depth podcast. I actually think we've mentioned it in a few podcasts, but that's the one where we went quite in depth in case any uh, listeners want to actually know more about each one of these regulations and how it applies to not just the companies, but the investors at large. So now that we're talking about your STO, it sounds like what you're trying to do is get your major VCs and angels in line and then possibly launch an STO. Is that correct? Well, it's not precisely correct. What what happened was we, I mentioned we're white labeling a platform and we, we actually have formed a partnership with uh, a very amazing, very low key technology enabler. But th because they operate in the UAE and Singapore and Switzerland, I actually went to Dubai and met with them and penned the agreement. And they said to us, look, we, from all of our partners around the world and, and everything we see, we believe that UAE or, and Dubai and Abu Dhabi in particular are a great place to launch this for all, all the following, yeah, you know, all the reasons I mentioned about. And they, those guys are really working hard, the, the UAE, to become a, a blockchain AI fintech hub. And so they make it relatively attractive uh, to come and set up your business there. And so in the process of doing that, we've actually already met. Um, so, so our plan was, OK, we'll go, we'll set up there and then we'll do the STO to fund it and get running. But kind of in the process, we've met some some investors there um, VCs and 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 family offices who've kind of said look we really like what you're doing can we just partner with you and and uh, you know we can probably match your funding requirements so it's you know it, it, it's never over till the lady uh, sings and the curtain comes down yeah certainly the dollars dirhams uh, yens and everything else are in your bank account um, so th the answer is it's, it's a bit of a work in progress and uh you know, anyone who's run a startup uh, knows that you've got to be pretty nimble. You know, there's there's always this paradox between you've got a vision of where you're going and that's crystal clear. And here's the dent we want to make in the in the universe. Any given step, you've got to be pretty nimble about how you do it. So so two, three months ago, we were like, yep, yeah, we'll go into the US. We've got some great networks, broker dealers we can work through, and we'll raise a couple million for the STO to get us going. If the funding doesn't come out of the Middle East or doesn't cover every, what we need, then we will. If we're able to do it through private funders, you know, funds and family offices and the like, then we'll do that because, frankly, it's administratively easier. You have a smaller shareholder registry, and the people that we're talking to actually are what you'd call smart money in that they have other businesses that are that are synergistic with what we're doing and i don't want to say too much because we haven't done the deals yet i don't want to get too specific about who they are or what have you but, no don't uh, worry don't worry we won't we, we don't need to go there anyway yeah. so it sounds like you don't have a definite date for an sto so we'll park that aside for a minute but if you're talking about launching a Metallicoin, I would think that one of the things that you would be concentrating on is volume. And you get volume by a large spread of users really around the world. Um, sure. So how is that? So how would that then sit into the overall plan if 
you did just have VC backing and did not do the STO? Yep, no, that's a, that's a great question. So I need to distinguish um, the volume on our exchange will be of people trading metals, right? And metal backed token. Uh, our own exchange token, the METL, we don't plan to list that on other exchanges, certainly not in the short term. People who want it will come and buy it on the exchange from us. So we're doing, if you like, an IEO, an initial exchange offering, mm -hmm. which is becoming quite popular in crypto, but we're only doing it on our exchange. So people would buy that if they want the utility of getting the discounted transactions and uh, all the other things I mentioned about clearing pools and what have you. But we'll generate volume on the exchange by getting people to come and trade metal, whether they trade it with US dollars or yen or Bitcoin or our own token doesn't matter. So, so for us, it's really, it's a channel strategy about approaching lots of um, brokers, commodities brokers, options brokers, Forex brokers, and, and saying, look, here's something else you can offer to your clients and, and make a bid on. It's also direct promotion, you know, and, it, and it's a little bit hard because the both of the two major uh, online advertising venues and we all know who they are based in Menlo Beach and uh, uh, what have you in Silicon Valley um, are very reluctant to advertise anything that looks like a cryptocurrency, even though the largest social network in the world is about to issue its own. So there's some interesting politics going on there. There's always but, politics you know, involved with the money. <laughs> yeah, of course. But, you know, we'll certainly do as much online advertising as we can to get people in and, and trying. And we'll be at conferences. We'll be trying to, you know, get into, you know, the industry magazines and business magazines and, and publications and just letting people know that it's available and they can you know, probably come and try and get a few transactions free and what have you. So we'll do all the normal marketing things that you have to do to raise awareness. But we'll start with the trader communities. And uh, and then we'll we'll also try and incentivize the channels, the brokers and what have you to uh, to recommend us. So we think that's how we're going to generate volume. Now, of course, uh, we generate some awareness through the cryptocurrency community if we did a big utility token sale and promoted that through Southeast Asia and what have you. But the challenge there is if you do that, and then you want to go back and be regulated in the US particularly, but even in Europe, and you've done that utility token sale, uh, it can sale. It's going to come from going really hard at the Forex and options traders and, and the crypto traders. But there's plenty of venues you can advertise to crypto traders and get awareness without doing an ICO. I just want to say to everyone, we didn't have enough acronyms. We now have a new one, the IEO, <laughs> the Initial Exchange Offering. You heard it here first, folks. ICO, ITO, STO, TSE, TGE. I mean, you name it, we got a new one, and it's the IEO. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> We have an acronym. You know, I, just remember the METL. That's the one. METL, <laughs> folks, the METL coin is where it's at. You can only get involved in this IEO by buying METL directly on Metalli Coins Great. Digital Metal Exchange or DMX. Thank you so much. Well, I just, Jeremy, I want to tell you, I think this is one of the most exciting projects I've heard in a very long time. A very long time. And I am happy to actually say that out loud it really is i think very interesting and it seems to be very unique and it just has a lot of legs to it i'd like to thank you so much for coming on to crypto and blockchain talk and telling everyone about metallic coin which by the way everyone to find out more it's metallic coin m-e-t-a-l-i coin.com just log on to there and you can read all about it not only that but i alluded to a forbes article that was just written which is actually very interesting and jeremy has given a quote in that all you have to do is type in jeremy samuel s-a-m-u-e-l and forbes and it will come up right away jeremy thank you so much again for for coming on to crypto and blockchain talk 
It's been a pleasure. This has been great fun. Thanks, Aviva. Hey, no worries. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And remember to tell your friends and family to download us on iTunes, Podbeam, Stitcher, and Spotify, amongst many others. Also, please like us on Twitter and Facebook and leave great comments. And if you have any suggestions of any topics that you would like us to talk about, please email us at education at SavvyDigital.com. Again, thank you for tuning in this week, and we hope to have you as our listener next week. Take care and goodbye. Thanks for listening to the CryptoCast podcast. Stay tuned in for more episodes.